0: Welcome back, everyone, to Christ Culture and Excellence. This is episode two. Today we're going to get into the Adam and Eve story. So I'm going to be reading chapters two and three out of Genesis. And just just to, you know, hash it out, last time uh, we talked about... Uh, chapter one, which was all about the creation uh, story, God creating the universe, the cosmos, and I talked about how um, I see God really as reality, and that's the lens at which, uh, through which I'm looking at this uh, this book here, this very important book. Uh, Okay, chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all his work, which he had done in creation. All right, so they say it a couple times in there, you know. His work is done. We know it's not really done because he's still he's still working through us, but the the bulk of you know this project, which is the universe, uh, it's it's completed, okay, and it took seven days, and I. You know, when I first read this, back in my skeptical atheist phase or whatever, well, it's not when I first read it, but uh, when I started thinking about it, perhaps, uh, it's kind of odd. Seven days? like So God is all-powerful, but <laughs> he can't just snap his fingers and create the universe? It, it takes him seven days? Like you know what is he i kind of in my mind imagine like like a painter you know oh this this that's what you kind of have to envision like he's painting with broad strokes and he waves his hand and suddenly it appears which <laughs> it's frustrating as an artist you know like dang god created all this and it was good like did he have any practice? Was he just, just innately good at creating things? Uh, you know, you're kind of envious of, of God in that sense. But why why seven? I mean, it could have been any number. You know, the, the, uh, the atheists will say, well, no, it's <laughs> it's billions of years, you know, at least. Billions. And but that doesn't matter because again, like I said last time, why why is it that God is created in our image? Uh, why not a pig? Why not a pig's image? That's because pigs didn't write the Bible, fool! And it's, it's it's a book written by humans for humans, so obviously, uh, you know, God is going to represent us. More so than pigs. And so the significance of the seven, uh, well, I've heard from people who say, back in the days, uh, horses, which were much more common, you know you had to horse use horses to plow, to get around. Horses, if you worked them too much, they would die. They would They would not uh, perform well. Right? So if you worked them, you know, eight days uh, before you gave them a rest instead of seven, well, that would be too much for them. And likewise, if you did six days, um, you know, they, you're not, you're not maximizing your efficiency, you're, and so that could be the significance of the seven and the significance of the week. We're in some ways not that different than horses, and uh, yeah, you, you can't. You've probably noticed this if you've either been in school or at work and you've tried just you know going all out week in week out well of course in in colleges now they just party from what I understand so that but even partying you you have to take a rest from partying Uh, so when we're doing our work it's very important that we're uh, given some time to rest and so that's why we have the weeks that we do. It, it just works out biologically for us and spiritually. So, yeah, if, if you aren't incorporating, you know, your, your life is probably suffering if you're not incorporating, uh, like, a day of rest and you're not taking that day seriously. Um, now, I sometimes will work... Uh, I, I, but it's it's not my my livelihood kind of work. It's the work that I'm doing here. It's the work uh, that, as I see it, is in the service of God, which I think I think is a bit different. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Interesting word there, generations. You, know, you don't think of the heavens and the earth as having generations but if you know anything that's created has to you know it has a timeline it has uh you know it's it's this is the youth of the world is before man got there and yes it it wasn't actually seven days in reality or you know literally but um, mankind wasn't there. So for us, it might as well have been seven days. It sort of feels like it. Um, Okay. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground but a mist went up from the ground and watered the whole face of the ground a mist went up and watered the ground it's interesting it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of weird to me, like, so there's like these seeds in the earth already, but they, they don't have water, they don't have sustenance. So th- this is the week prior, and then suddenly, life comes about. It's kind of an all-all at once thing, uh, you know. God hadn't brought forth rain, and uh, you know obviously he has to. We have to have water before we create mankind. Now he, they did talk about waters in uh, the oceans and the seas and everything as being created before this time, but not rain. Right, so so. Really, the last act of creation is the last act before man is really bringing water to uh, to to the life on the earth, which is about to flourish. And how does how does he do this through mist through clouds? That's probably why when we when we think about spirit or whatever, we think about kind of a hazy mist. Uh, at least I, you know, in traditionally apparitions and so on. It's like these floaty things that are going through the air. There's probably some kind of connection there. Okay, and now we're really into the crux of things. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So before we were man, we were but dust on the ground. It's humbling if nothing else, without God's breath, that's all we are, is dust, particles to be tread upon by the animals. But here, he breathes into our nostrils. So breath is the spiritual thing. And we don't, certainly people who practice yoga will, will understand this, or meditation will understand how the breath is spiritual. and it's poetic it's poetic because we're always breathing we need breath we need breath <laughs> to to live but a lot of times we don't think about it this thing which is so vital we we don't even think about it and so without same thing without spiritual nature you don't you just you can't survive and I think even even horrible people they have some kind of they have a spirit within them a, a life and a, a lot of I'm kind of conflicted about this cuz sometimes I'll say oh bad people they can be dead inside Um, but the better part of me <laughs> at least wants to think there's some part of them in there that is this still alive spiritually. That's keeping them going. Uh, there's still some hope for revival in there, uh, even if it's not a a. It's not for me. It's not something that I'm going to be able to change them on. They still have that possibility, um, and we will get to in the next part here talking about free will determinism. Uh, Because, as we'll see, man doesn't yet have that, okay? And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man who he had formed. So east, right? Sunrise happens in the east. Uh, Now, could also be talking about... uh, sort of Mesopotamia, that area that was east of, uh, you know, modern-day Israel and the area, Canaan area here. Uh, But I think east uh, is probably in there because that's where the sun rises, so that's where birth happens. It's in the east. We never, you know, even though this isn't a pagan religion, we we don't we don't get away from reverence towards the sun. I mean, that's I think we're always going to have that to some degree. And here, it's not so much the sun as it is light. Uh, but it's always going to be important for us as human beings, no matter what religion we're practicing. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we've got all these trees that are good for eating, and we've got this tree of life. Mysterious tree of life, and mysterious tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so the scene is set. This is this is the place known as Eden. Um, and if anyone, if you, if any of you uh, have some deeper knowledge into, uh, you know, the meaning behind Eden or so on, uh, there's probably something out there that I, uh, I'm not aware of. So please let me know. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which flows around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. (coughs) Yeah, so again, you've probably heard of Tigris and Euphrates, Mesopotamia, uh, the, the Fertile Crescent, sometimes called the Cradle of Civilization. So there are these these four rivers, so we know we're roughly talking about that area, which is where uh, at least the writers of this believed that uh, civilization began. And so notice, they're not so much concerned with where uh, man, the animal, the animal was originated, right? Where where did our monkey ancestors first grow up? Well, I mean, what, what, why, why would we even care about that? It's, it's, it's not so easy to distinguish, you know, you believe in evolution, right? Uh, Maybe you don't, but if you believe in evolution, then yeah. You understand that monkeys, there was this gradual process, and where do we draw this line? You have to draw this line somewhere and say, oh, okay, now this is a human being, now this is uh, man. It's kind of arbitrary. Um, Now, a definition that I like to use for civilization. Is really anytime uh, you have uh, a large scale and what is large I would say you know enough to make up a tribe uh, so probably more than a couple <laughs> anytime you have enough men get together to organize uh, organize defense Organize food, organize shelter. You know, anytime men are together organizing, well, this is where you have civilization. So, actually, Eden is not the place where civilization started, right? We're not civilized yet. And I'm going to be, I want to talk about. Uh, this book that I, I've been wanting to talk about this book that I finished uh, last night actually Bronze Age Mindset and I have some st- <laughs> if, if you don't know who this is uh, Bronze Age Pervert he's become fu- somewhat influential on uh, Twitter and I uh, believe he's Russian but he wrote this book and uh, he's somewhat controversial in Nationalist circles, and I can see why you know reading the book, sometimes I would think to myself, "Oh my gosh, he has perfectly encapsulated here uh, what I wasn't able to put words to it's beautiful, I totally agree with it and then you know the very next paragraph I'm tearing out my hair because this guy is completely missing the point, and he, he's, he's totally missing something very crucial. So I, it's, it's like a love-hate uh, kind of relationship when, when I read this book. But one of the things, the reason I'm getting into it now, he talks about civilization as being a bad thing. which is uh, a new one for me, you know, I have always thought, Hey, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to defend Western civilization. And to be fair, it's somewhat we, me and him might have different definitions of of, uh, civilization a better word perhaps that he does use sometimes is domestication. He talks about how you know this is the whole idea of the bronze age. You know bronze age is when the aryans came and took over europe uh and they were these nomadic warriors and they had this kind of decentralized uh, system with many different tribes and they they fought um, and they trained and things were good uh, and they they brought a new kind of life to europe these indo aryans and he 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 you know believes that the bronze before this bronze age or whatever the, the Basically, it was similar to today where you had kind of cities are, you know, built up areas and they were domesticated and people were weak and probably the the ones who ruled over them were weak and everyone was just, you know, happy, kind of, well, they were miserable, but they believed themselves to be happy and, uh really slavery uh, in a way. And he talks about how the suburbs today are, are a kind of uh, domesticated life and uh, he's not wrong. He's not wrong in this sense and so I think that we have gone too far in this direction. I don't think that the idea is to tear down uh, civilization, I don't think we need to go to that level his whole thing is, is piracy he wants to bring back the age of piracy and I don't know, I mean <laughs> I don't know about you, I wouldn't do too well probably and maybe maybe that just means I have a lot more work to do but I, you know without contact lenses I wouldn't be faring so well probably and uh, a lot a lot of these things that Modernity has brought to us these conveniences I certainly wouldn't be doing this podcast so I don't know I, I just don't maybe there would be fulfillment in my life in some ways if, if we weren't if I wasn't as domesticated or whatever but hey it, it does allow me to uh, focus on my family focus on uh, godly work so you know I see I see his point in talking about this, but let's get back to, to the Bible here. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may eat you may freely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. You know, it's interesting here. Like, he doesn't say you can't eat from the tree of life. Which we know later, in hindsight, gives you eternal life. Could you imagine how different things would have been if... if, uh, Adam and Eve had eaten from that tree instead? But here God says, in the day that you eat of it you shall die. That'll be important, right? Uh, So we have this understanding that they are kind of immortal right now. They're not going to die. and as I said, they're, they're in this garden, and a garden is a cultivated area of nature. It's different from, I think I said this last time, the, the wild nature that is so prevalent. Uh, so a garden is something special. It takes work to tend to create these beautiful scenes, these plants that you want to be around as humans. It's not going to kill you, in other words. So we're in this domesticated kind of life, and it's just Adam and Eve, and we're serving God, basically, in this garden. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man, It it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. Now, you know, it's almost like this is, this is a retelling of the creation story. So we get the creation story twice here. We get it in chapter one, which is kind of... God-focused. It's, it's almost from God's perspective, this, this is what happened. And then this perspective is almost, uh, what is it from man's point of view? That's how I interpret this, but yeah. Uh, God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So yes, the speech and the ability to give things names is critical to who we are as uh, mankind, as people. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. Now I, I sometimes wonder did he did he name everyone? <laughs> Like oh yeah that cow is uh that cow's George and over there that cow is mm. Barnabas Or did he just say those are cows <laughs> <laughs> I mean we we do we sometimes give names to things that uh are lower than us inferior to us So people give names to their cars, right? I think that's a bit silly. But for the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Here we go. That's the creation of the woman. Notice they talk about a helper, right? They don't say, oh, man's best friend. Man didn't have a friend. (laughs) They don't talk about it in the Bible, but actually uh, God took, uh, a femur bone, and, uh, he made man's best friend, which was the dog. That's not in there, yeah, you know, they left that part out, but, uh, <laughs> I do, I like dogs, I don't have dogs, but I, I like them from time to time, they're very, I, I, see why people like them, but here, here's the point, and <laughs> we're gonna talk, th- you know, this, this is in this book, this, uh, bronze age book which I totally agree with is that we you, you shouldn't see uh, what wo- woman women whether it's your girlfriend or your wife they're not meant there to be your friend of course you're going you, you have to like them you have to get along with them but fundamentally it's here in the bible they are your helper. And the, fem- the feminists will rile with this. Oh, how dare he. He's, he's basically taking agency away from women. He's saying that their only purpose is to, to serve man and so on. Well, their purpose is, is the raising of children. And you can denigrate that if, all you want if you want, but I, I'm just gonna say you're a horrible person because we need mothers to raise the, the next generation. They're they're crucial. But you know, women the as as someone on the right, this is what I believe in. This traditionalism that man and woman have different roles. And so it wouldn't make sense to just say Oh, yeah, God created them both at the same time. They're they're completely equal. No. Women are helpers for men. Uh, they do dishes. <laughs> I mean, th- this is... It's kind of a domestic role. And it's important. It's extremely important. We never want to say that they... We never want to demean them in the sense that we don't need them or anything. No, they're vital to who we are. And it's not as mundane as just dishes. It's not, okay? Anyone who says that doesn't understand a thing because uh, what's the saying? Behind every great man is a great woman. And that's the thing. We sort of realized here in this Genesis story that Something was missing from man, a partner, a uh, that's, really, that's really what it is, a, a vice president, a, a lieutenant, what, whatever you're going to say, uh, someone to support the man, and that, that is the role of the woman. Here we here we go. Then the man said, "This is this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Which is why it's funny to me when people, some, some people don't even want to combine their bank accounts. It's like, come on, man, you're supposed to be one flesh. Not, not, like that, that's really extreme. Say you're one flesh. But, <laughs> is it that far-fetched, though, when you think about it? When you think about what men and women do, they kind of join, don't they? There's kind of a, a joining that involves the creation of children, and uh, you know when that happens, especially, you're one flesh, and you should think of it as that. So, yeah, when when one person is is hurting or whatever, when one person's angry. It affects the whole family. It affects the, your partner. You're, uh... Yeah, you can't necessarily read each other's thoughts. But, uh... Yeah, we're, we're, we're joined. If people sometimes say, where's your better half? You know, why, why would we... Or your worst works half. Why would we say that if, if there wasn't this union? Okay, chapter three. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God say you should not eat of the ditch? did God say you should not eat of any tree of the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees." of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows what, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. All right, this is the classic serpent story. And if you've listened to the Jordan Peterson lecture on Genesis, you'll, you'll have heard all about, you know, why snakes? Why snakes? Well, you know, in the past, we, we were fearful of snakes because some of them were poisonous. So we had to uh, be on the lookout for them. So that's kind of hardwired into our biology. I, we get that, but also... What I will add to that is that the serpent is this slippery creature. And you notice the word that the Bible uses, subtle. So this serpent, he's cunning, right? Now this particular one can talk, right? Which leads us to believe it's possibly not just talking about the reptile. Possibly we're also referring to human beings Which tend to pose a much greater threat to us than, than serpents uh, If we just look at war and uh, abuse and all of, that, all of those things It's the people who are close to you that can hurt you the most Well... It's kind of warning us to watch out for these, what, what could we call them, sophists? Uh, the people who use language to, uh, t- and twist language. Oh, God. And certainly today, the, these are the people in, in power, unfortunately. These are the people in our media and it's it's generally not an out-and-out out lie, right? Not, not something that obvious. They go for the technicality. And this, this is what Jesus later on rails against. You know, what Judaism became, really. He rails against this. And that it's no surprise, then, that he talks about the pit of vipers to refer to people like the pharisees it's because that, that they're acting like snakes by being hypocritical by uh, you know wiggling out of things oh here's here's the law but let's see how we can maybe skirt around this law you know, Judaism, and especially the Talmud, is full of these things. It's basically the whole thing, is how can we get around these laws so that we, we don't actually have to follow them. Let me look at the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. And which do you think God is about? Of course, he's about the spirit of the law. So here we've got this story, and uh, Eve. Now, now yes, women are. I think it's important that the snake goes to Eve about this because women tend to be more easily misled in these in these things. So you know that's that's why feminism has had the detrimental effect. Uh, people in the manosphere like to say oh this is inherent to women and then other people like to say oh this is, this is inherent to the snake like people who are misleading the women neither of them are wrong completely like both of these parties are responsible and then and then the man will see bears responsibility for for not pushing back in this sense. He goes along with it, right? Here, let, let's read the next part. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The woman whom you gavest to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle, and above all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for you, for out of it you were taken, you are dust and to dust you shall return so that's the proclamation of God that's his uh, judgment that he cast down on us now you can see here he dishes out punishment to, to all three parties, right, he doesn't think any one of them is responsible, which is which just seems fair and just to me. Um, but what, what is this really telling us? It's, it's kind of giving us this backstory to why we suffer, but simultaneously why we have duties and, and responsibilities. if we had never eaten of the tree of good and evil. Well, notice it's knowledge of, of good and evil, which is, which is an important point, of course, because knowledge is the, uh, a requisite component to morality. right? If you don't know that something is wrong and you do it, Um, you are not responsible. Now, th- this isn't how the law works, but that's for practical reasons, okay? In in real terms, something's not wrong if you don't know uh, that it is... R- well, you can't be blamed for doing something that is wrong if you genuinely don't know. Now, of course, people lie all the time to get out of it, uh, but we recognize this with children, with, with little babies. A little baby, or maybe a toddler even. Uh, they don't have that capacity. Their brains aren't developed enough to be able to understand what they're doing uh, if they go around and, and punch somebody accidentally or throw up or what have you. And sometimes we can get into trouble because we hold on to this idea for too long and treat them as though they're less developed than they actually are so knowledge of good and evil before this we didn't have it we were kind of like children we were god's children he was our father we were living together in the garden and then suddenly this is this is our maturing if you will becoming the man that we are, the men and women that we are today, uh, is, is this act of eating of the, the tree of good and evil and he casts down this judgment upon us and suddenly we have these responsibilities that we have to bear. Women have to give birth in childhood and it hurts. Men have to till the fields to grow crops and so on. Um, it's interesting they don't. He doesn't talk about hunting, because <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's sort of a way around it, way out of the domestication thing. But anyway, tilling the ground to get plants and and rice and bread, uh, and that's that's back breaking work. It it it's very hard, and but yet we have to do it. As, as men, we have to provide for our family this is this is if you will a curse now i don't see it as a curse it's 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 work a lot of people are happy to do it but we don't the point is we don't have a choice it's what we have to do and people who try to get around this they are the ones who who suffer the most the people who you know say well i'm i'm just going to steal my way out of things steal for sustenance through the the state or whatever the welfare or whatever uh, people who say i'm not going to have kids i could have kids but i'm going to be selfish and just live for myself these th- these are the people who they think they're being clever but they're not they're they're going to suffer for it later in their life um. So who is ultimately responsible? Yes, it's all parties and, and the snake he makes to, to slither on the ground so there's this idea that the ground is something that's unclean Um, you know there are diseases there are all of these things which could kill us are often associated with ground (laughs) scorpions whatever you know we build shelters to get up off of the ground so that there are fewer dangers to us Um, but at the same time we we can't escape the ground completely. We're tied to it. We're tied to the land. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. There's this other component here that that's important that is their nakedness, their shame. Shame is an interesting kind of you know, it ties in with morality, right? So in this case, it's not, it's not inherently evil what they do being naked. It's not evil to walk around the streets naked. But we understand there's kind of something wrong with it. And that is a cultural thing. If there was nobody else in the world, if you were the only person, in the world would you wear clothes probably not unless you were cold you'd probably walk around naked but because there is uh... you know parts of us that we want to keep private from other people that's why we clothe ourselves uh... and and especially our private parts, right? Our our naughty bits. We keep. We don't display those to others. Uh, <laughs> unless you live in the modern world, in which case, porn is rampant, and suddenly people have gone without shame. So shame is is really built into our civilization uh, from from the very beginning. And it's important. It's important to carry on because without shame um then the things which actually are about good and evil, like killing people or whatever, there's less uh, there's less structure there to keep people in place. You know, it's it's unfortunately very rare for people to want to do good for the sake of Of doing good, Um, they want to be seen as doing good. A lot of them, and I, I wish we could get around this, right? I wish that everybody, regardless of there whether there are consequences or not, for what 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 doing good, people would just do good. And they would follow God and that is it's kind of the ultimate goal right this is this is Jesus the ideal here something that we're always striving for so if you think about sins in your life a lot of times you may have to repent for this fact that you do good because you want to avoid the bad consequences and you want to get praise we all have that to some degree i think uh and that's why the shame is such an important part of this okay let's continue oh and it's also it's also why it also opens us up to manipulation by the snakes. That's what I was gonna mention, yeah. So, the snakes, they know that we feel shame about certain things, and they use it to our advantage. Right? Oh, you you care about being uh, good and, and seen as a nice person. Okay. I'm going to show you these pictures of these these hurting children and uh what why do you have these gates? Why do you have these borders? Just just open them up. These people are hurting and they just they you know don't you want to help them? Don't you want to be seen as a good person who's who's bringing these people in? all these migrants from the third world, you can afford it. Look at how much wealth you have. you know, just just let them come in. you know, this is the thing. And uh, I did this illustration back when I was more friendly towards Trump because Trump read this poem by Al Wilson called "The Snake. It's all about a woman who takes in a snake. Uh, who who's been injured in the wild and he takes the snake in she takes uh, the snake nurses him back to health and what does he do he bites her and the woman says why did you bite me I took care of you and the snake says you foolish woman I'm a snake that's what I do so it's kind of an important lesson right uh, <laughs> and the, the, the analogy, it actually could be more apt, right? It, it actually isn't a very good analogy because he, he's trying to analogize the snake with Muslims. I think the Muslims are the scorpions, right? Because the snakes, as we see in the Bible, it's not the snake who bites Eve, right? The snake doesn't bite Eve. The snake convinces Eve to go eat of this tree, which will kill her. Now, she does it of her own accord, but he's so convincing that she does it. And so, you know, in this poem, really what it should be is the snake whispering into this woman's ear, Oh, go nurse this scorpion back. To... That, that would be a more apt analogy for what is actually happening in the West today, because we have these snakes living among us, and they know that they can't bite us, because if they outright bite us, we'll get rid of them uh, pretty easily. We can take care of snakes, Uh, but we can't take care of things which we think are a good you know, we have the power to d- deport all of these third world people who are raping and murdering and causing crime and all of these things in our countries in the West. We have the power, of course. What, what, what we're tied down by is this, this manipulation and this moral belief that, uh, oh, we're, we're doing good, we have to do this we have to replace the population essentially the snake works by cunning by, by uh, subversion sedition and so let's look back what the snake said to the woman he said the tree you will not die God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened so again there's this technicality it's technically true she didn't die the moment she ate that but it was a kind of death and ultimately this this is ultimately the cause of the death Uh, it's the original sin is eating from the from the tree um, so I don't see original sin as something like oh babies are born evil no it, original sin is is getting back to this story and it's getting back to our ability to you know this this act which created this uh, this chain of events whereby we're now able to sin. Before we weren't able. We had no idea of good and evil. But now we can sin. We can do what is wrong. That's the original sin. So, yeah, technically she didn't die. Uh, and it did open her eyes. So the snake wasn't completely wrong in that sense. Um, and God wasn't wrong. God didn't lie. The snake didn't lie. Uh, it was it was a manipulation, though. And this is, this is where a lot of the evils in the modern world are coming from is, is manipulation and subtle skirting of the truth. Okay, let's finish it off here. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the tree from the garden of Eden to till (laughs) to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Alright, so another thing that Bronze Age Pervert talks about here is that I disagree with really is he talks about needing to needing men who are able to dive into the pits of evil and not lose a part of themselves uh you know because he says the 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 sorcerers in this world who are casting spells and evil upon the world they they have a kind of power and it comes from knowing this this like witchcraft this evil that will that does give you power and and um you know he condemns people like uh, Rush fee because Rush was following this path of uh kind of nihilism and uh, sleeping you know he would sleep with lots of women if you don't know who Roosh is that's okay Uh, but he went around Europe as a pickup artist you know preaching basically to men hey don't worry about these you know these uh, fuddy-duddy rules and, and and stuff don't worry about having a family or whatever just just go sleep with as many women as you can this was his message and the way he lived his life and he's he's had a kind of coming to Jesus moment thanks largely to E Michael Jones uh, where he's now more religious and and he's realized the mistake that that was and the pain that it that's caused his life anyway Bap thinks no No, this is not. We need scoundrels. We need people who can take a hold of the vile of youth by becoming vile themselves, and and uh, somehow not losing themselves. He thinks that this is the path to really taking down the powers of the current world because you have to understand them and to that I would say well who doesn't understand them I mean we've all it's seen nobody has lived this this ideal great life really I mean it, it, there's so much it, yeah maybe not everybody has slept with tons of women or uh, Done, the, done all these things that he calls great uh, but we've all had traumas and, and trials in our lives and we've all been we've all seen the darker nature of the world and ourselves and we so I think that he's right in a sense that you do have to plunge down into the dark pits of your own soul and look at it that way But in terms of a strategy for winning, no, this this is completely wrong. Um, And I think ultimately what he's trying to do is he wants this tree of life. You you can tell by his writings. He wants eternal life. And he's not the first one. Lots of people before him have, have... Looked at this prize, you know. They they make stories about it, like the philosopher's stone. They want this. They want to live forever, and it's ultimately a trap. It's ultimately a tragic uh, trap, and the devil will snare you in it. And if you think, oh well, I'm I'm too great. I'm going to, to defeat the devil and uh, by, I I can do this deal with the devil and uh, I'll escape it, you're wrong. And we know the answer to why you're wrong is right here. God places the cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So what do these things represent? I would say the cherubim represents birth and the the, tr- the sword represents death. All right, a flaming sword, it's turning every way. It's sort of the inescapable death, the inevitable death. And so this is a reminder of our mortality. We we really can't get to the tree of life without death. Um, It's one of those... uh, seemingly contradictory things, right? So we learn in the New Testament that the only way to eternal life is through Jesus. But we we can't get there in our mortal lives. We're never going to get there. Th- but that doesn't mean it's impossible. You know, this this goal of of youth that lasts forever it's a very seductive thing uh and and many people have have fallen for it if you read bap's book he goes through all the greats you know alexander and all these people who they mastered so many things in their lives and uh they had great physique they they were true champions of of um, of their day. They conquered many lands and set up civilizations, and uh, and so on. But yet, ultimately, they they sec- they had to succumb to death, and uh, kind of. the question is what will your death mean we know that you're going to die so what will it mean and it doesn't i'm not saying you know (laughs) you have to go down fighting uh you know there is there is sometimes glory in in death in that sense the muslims aren't completely wrong about that but you can also achieve glory and, and your just just through the acts uh, and the character of your life here on this on this path towards Eden. So I, I'm titling this 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 episode really the Return to Eden because that is we're sort of you can see our lives as like a pilgrimage back towards Eden and we're we're returning home there to be with God. So that's what I would say the afterlife means. And I hope that was helpful and uh, gave you some things to think about and inspiring words. This podcast was recorded on January 6th, 2020. I thank you for your time. Um, Remember to pray and to be humble and to look forward to the future. Blessings upon you.